Hey, folks, this is Zane Williams here to thank you for listening to my buddy Cable Smith on the Lone Star Outdoors show and also want to wish each and every one of you a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Hunting, y'all. And it's amazing how when we're holding him all the light and the joy and the hope we'd lost come rushing back in Somehow Christmas feels like Christmas. Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Our good buddy Zane Williams kicking things off for us here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Christmas feels like Christmas again. Awesome tune there. I'm your host, Cable Smith, and I appreciate each and every one of you for sharing a part of this wonderful holiday season with me. We've got a great show lined up for you this morning. And, man, we'll be all over the map, a bunch of different topics to get into. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Grab that green Stanley thermos, you know, the one you've had for 15 years. Still got mud caked on it from five duck seasons ago. Yep, that one. Pour yourself another cup of coffee because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll hit the back country with Gafaru Internationals and uh, co-host of the Gritty Bowman podcast, Aaron Snyder. He spends upwards of 180 days in the backcountry of Colorado each and every year, and many of those days are spent in some of the most extremely harsh conditions imaginable when there's two feet of snow on the ground, temperatures are well below zero, and we're going to get into some cold weather backcountry hunting tips that you need to know about, and some of them are more survival tips on just staying warm. What if uh, you know a cold front comes through and dumps a foot of snow on you? And you need to be prepared. Maybe you don't have all the ideal gear for that situation. But, hey, we all know Mother Nature is a harsh mistress. She doesn't give a crap if you're prepared or not. Uh, so there's some things you can do to make sure that, you know, you don't waste all that precious heat that your body's worked so hard to produce. So some gear tips and survival, you know, type stuff coming at you uh, as far as cold weather backcountry hunting is concerned. Then we will shift gears. Head down to the Texas coast where it's a little bit warmer and talk some flounder gigging with our buddy Cody Clint. He is a senior marine biology major at Texas A&M Galveston, and one of his passions is getting after those big, shallow flatties this time of year uh, with a gig. And he'll share all of the tricks of the trade with us here in just a little bit before we wrap up today's show by talking Bob White Quail with the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch's Dale Rollins. There's no one in Texas who has spent more time studying and researching the plight of the bobwhite quail than uh, Dr. Dale, and we are thrilled to have him join the show once again to talk about the boom-boom years of 2015 and 2016 and what that means for long-term outlook when it comes to both bobwhite and blue quail. So we'll get into that. Plus, you know, when you do point a covey, how many birds should you expect to harvest out of each covey that your dog points? And then looking back throughout the annals of quail hunting history, where does 2016 stack up among the greatest years of all time? Dale will give us his thoughts on that as well. Uh, so that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a dang fine show. I guarantee you that. We're going to have fun doing it, and I'm glad that you're along for the ride couple other things to mention. Don't forget our December Photo of the Month contest is going on right now. This month's grand prize is a CVA Wolf 
50 caliber muzzleloader with a scope combo. So it's a uh, gun scope package there from CVA Muzzleloaders. And all you have to do to enter this month's contest is send in your best hunting or fishing or outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it on our Facebook page wall or message it to me on Instagram using that LSOS photo contest hashtag. That's right. It's just hashtag LSOS photo contest. And we'll get you entered into this month's contest. And then our 12 monthly winners will square off for a chance to join me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas on a trophy axis deer or black buck hunt. And that, once again, is our 2016 grand prize hunt package brought to you by Coons Canyon Ranch and our buddy Glenn Underwood. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, yeah. Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Costa Sunglasses gift card here that will let you, well, whoever wins, They'll get to customize their own pair of Costa sunglasses from the lens to the frame to the style, however you want to do it. That's up to the winner. Uh, but here's the question for today. Make sure you're listening when we visit with Cody Clint. And when he tells us what his biggest flounder is, that's in inches, he's going to tell us here on the show because I'm going to ask him. Uh, text in the answer to 214-289-7807. That's 214-289-7807. When Cody tells us the size of the biggest flounder he's ever caught, text it in, and you could win the Costa Sunglasses gift card, which is honestly just in time uh, for this Christmas season. Hey, could be the perfect Christmas present to yourself. But anyway, <laughs> that's uh, what we've got going on here today as far as the giveaways. Well, we'll also do another one real quick. I've got a uh, Costa sunglasses cap and t-shirt for another giveaway here. So first person to text in the word flounder, that's flounder, to 214-289-7807 will give you uh, the other Costa prize pack, which is a cap and t-shirt here today. Uh, so you know what? Let's take a break. We've got a lot to get into, and uh, we'll get things going here with some backcountry hunting uh, tech tips and survival stuff with our buddy Aaron Snyder from Kafaru International. That's next, right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm coming over to the cross mighty river that's before Hey, y'all, Cable Smith here, and uh, my friends over at Three Curl Outfitters. They go where the ducks go. The last couple of years, all those greenheads seem to be hanging up in Kansas. So what did 3Curl do? They went and leased 30,000 acres in north-central Kansas. They're offering a full weekend of waterfowl hunting for $600 a gun. That's two days of hunting. It's all-inclusive. Not only the hunting, but lodging, hot meals. I mean, it's the whole deal. They're just giving it away. Are you kidding me? Uh, so check it out. You can find out more info at 3Curl.com or call 214-455-0940. To book your Kansas waterfowl hunt today. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800 9 Go Hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org. 
Howdy, folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Who cares if he can't walk a line? He's up so far. I'm leaving Santa Lone Star. Hey Santa, thanks for working so hard. Hey Santa, I know you travel so far. Hey There's Santa, a little Sam Mason and Songbird Jones. I'm leaving Santa Lone Star. Bringing us back here on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players. I'm Cable Smith. Wishing uh, you and yours a Merry Christmas this holiday season. Thank you so much for being here with me as I've got a great guest uh, set to join us here momentarily. But before we get into some cold weather and uh, extreme backcountry hunting tips, uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader and big game conservation. We'd love to have you get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. And to do that, you can find out more information on DSC by visiting biggame.org. All right. Um, with temperatures finally dropping, thank God, here uh, down in Texas, as well as across the country, I figured we'd talk some cold weather hunting tips. This is especially uh, applicable if... You like to hit the backcountry when there's snow on the ground. And nobody spends more days in the backcountry in extreme nasty conditions than our friend Aaron Snyder of the Gritty Bowman Podcast and Kafaru International. Uh, Aaron, thanks for jumping on, man. Great to have you. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Uh, first of all, how has your backcountry hunting season been this fall? Oh, it's it's been pretty epic. Um, a, lot of, a lot of hunts, a lot of adventures, especially with the recurve. Yeah. Well, I know you've been, have you hunted solely with the struggle stick this season? Yep. Yep. The entire season, just with the recurve. Wow. Okay. And I know you've uh, been, you were chasing mule deer. Uh, what other tags did you have? Um, two mule deer, a couple elk, a couple black bear, grizzly, uh, white tail. Uh-huh. I think and, that's it. And which ones were you successful on? Uh, Mule deer, black bear, elk, and turkey. Uh, I did not get a grizzly, and uh, I did not get a whitetail. Uh-huh. Uh, well, last time we spoke, I knew you were gearing up for that grizzly hunt. Did you have any encounters? I got 65 yards from one, um, and uh, it just didn't didn't work out. But um, I'm going to uh, head back. The outfitter treated me you know, pretty good for heading back again, um, so I'm going to head back up uh this spring and try and uh, fill it in i 
I got, it wasn't a huge bear. It was probably six and a half, seven and a half years old and probably just under seven foot. Um, so, I mean, I got close, but didn't, didn't capitalize. Yeah. Well, no one saw. <laughs> 55 yards is still a poke with a recurve. So. Yeah. It would have been uh, deader than fried chicken with a compound, but, um, yeah. we got close, but, uh, <laughs> it was actually don't ever saw. We, it ended up snowing every day. Um, pretty tough hunt we backpacked in oh almost 12 14 miles i guess so it's, it was uh we were in quite a ways yeah oh man well we'll uh hopefully you'll you'll have success this spring um but uh yeah what i wanted to talk about today was just some some backcountry tips for this time of year maybe um you know maybe folks have a late season bull tag or, or a late season muley tag um things to consider though you know i mean if temperatures are a lot harsher than they were back in september and october when most folks have those archery tags or muzzleloader tags and uh you know there's snow on the ground in a, in a lot of places uh you you live in colorado you know Tafaro's headquartered there um how about how many days do you spend in the outdoors in the backcountry hunting and, and testing products probably uh as far as it's easier to say nights because days I don't really count if I just drive out and come back. But um, probably 180, um, you know, up to 220, uh, a lot. I mean, more than than most um, has its goods and bads, as you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know that, you know, just because there's snow on the ground doesn't keep you out of the mountain. So, um, like, let's go back to those folks that do have the late season tags. Um uh, you know, maybe they're chasing a wolf or uh, a mountain lion. Whatever the case, uh, give us some tips as far as, you know, let's start with name three things you have in your pack this time of year that you wouldn't in September and October. Uh, one would be um, some sort of what I call a puffy pant or an insulating layer pant, which is basically a down or synthetic pant that you that unzips all the way up the leg. Uh-huh. And uh, I call it a glassy pant because um, it's basically whenever I glass, when I stop, or whenever I stop in general, whether it's around camp or anything, glassing, whatever, it, it's like putting on a, a down jacket or a synthetic jacket, but I'm putting it on my legs. Um, that is hugely important for me because a lot of times I don't like wearing thermals if I'm on, like thermal underwear, if I'm on the move. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I'm on the move, I'm warm enough, I'm fine, but when I stop, now I'm freezing, where if I have those glassing pants, um, it, 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 it basically is a whole new ball game for me. Like, at that point, then I can do, you know, I can sit longer, I'm warmer, I'm happier, I don't get chilled, things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, good insight there. Uh, what else? Are there a couple other things you would definitely have right now that you wouldn't back during a, uh, a nice, cozy September archery hunt? I always have a whoopee, um, which is a, kind of a survival blanket that Kafaru makes. Um, we have two types. One's a whoopee and one's a, a doobie, which is a double whoopee. And that is, is basically a, an extremely, you know, wind-resistant, wind-proof synthetic blanket. And you can use that for anything, uh, meaning you can use it for a ground cloth, you know, to lay on, you wrap yourself in it. Um, for me, with with that whoopee and the synthetic pants, especially if I'm glassing for, I mean, name of, let's say a fourth season mule deer hunt, 
you're doing a lot of glassing and you're doing a lot of um uh of sitting basically high wind cold weather and i wrap that thing around me completely which will help me stay behind the glass for four to six hours rather than 40 to 60 minutes mm-hmm. right on yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, the the wind is what really gets you uh, when you're up there and you've got snow on the ground and temperatures are, you know, pretty extreme. Uh, when that wind's howling, it uh, it bites right through you. Um, okay, and then is there anything else uh, that you would have right now that you know, like we said, you'd leave at home during a an early archery hunt? Um, it's not here so much, but I have hot hands with me, the uh, body warmers. Oh yeah. Any external heat source for me is, is, is extremely important. Um, anything I can get for any kind of heat I can get where my body's not rejuvenating heat or not producing heat, anything from the outside that produces heat is, is very important for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and you know, as a, a duck hunter of 15 or so years, those hot hands have come in handy many, many times. You, you know, I've, I've yet to find the perfect glove for putting out and picking up decoys. You know, inevitably your hands get wet and they get cold, and uh, those hot hands are they're lifesavers, no doubt about it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Um, okay. Well, you know, last time you were on, we discussed black toe and and the reality that you know if you hunt in the backcountry enough, at some point you're going to run into some kind of foot issue. Um, I've had toenails fall off. I'm I'm sure you have as well. Um, but you know, when there's snow on the ground and temps are below freezing. The importance of taking care of your feet is compounded even more. So what kind of footwear tips, and you can include socks in there as well, uh, do you have for uh, our audience? One would be always wear merino wool socks or some type of a merino wool sock. Uh-huh. Um, I, which would, I only had three to choose from when you gave me the three for cold weather, but my fourth, I bring down booties that have a, a sole on them, mm-hmm. a lightweight sole. And so anytime I have to stop, I actually pull, like if I'm predator hunting, I'll pull my standard, my normal boots off. And uh, if I'm sitting and I'll put hot hands in those down booties, the ones I have are like 650 fill down. So not super high quality down, but they're extremely, extremely warm. And literally my feet, if you're not careful, they'll sweat. Um, <laughs> that's another thing that'll keep me... Um, on the mountain or on the, uh, you know, behind the glass or behind the gun a lot longer than, um, you know, just wearing standard boots with, you know, whatever the amount of insulation in them. You know, you can buy a ton of different boots that are insulated, um, but when you hike in those, your feet sweat yeah. um, profusely, which is another problem where with with this, uh, with down booties, you have boots that are probably a little bit better for hiking. Um, you know, that you wear in, you put your down booties on and then you pop those off and put your other boots back on. They're a better hiking boot. Uh, and then, you know what I mean? It's easier to cover miles if needed. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And where, where can folks find those down booties? Who makes them? Um, let's see. Integral Design, REI makes a set. Western Mountaineering makes a set. Um, I think Feathered Friends. And I, multiple different companies but um some people they call them sleeping socks there, there's a bunch of different names for them but i got mine uh that i currently use at rei they're like 69 bucks i've had them for four years nice okay oh that's a great tip there um okay well so add those down booties uh into the uh 
the uh, gear list. And then, it, but as far as you, you said, merino wool socks, um, a go-to for you. I've always, well, and this goes back to my dad, and we've been backpacking for together for about 20 years, and he swears by these liners. I've always found that my feet get colder when I have liners in. Um, I don't know. What is your personal opinion? I, I don't use liners myself. It's an old school um I say old school. Well, he is 62, before, so. <laughs> well, before high-tech socks, um, like merino wool socks, let's say, uh, the the idea was you put a liner sock on and then you put another sock on over it, and the friction happens between those two socks. It was for blisters more than anything in hot spots, and so you didn't get as much friction on your foot uh, because of the liner. I haven't had or know of anybody that uses a technically a liner sock to help for cold weather. Um, mostly it's for friction, um, you know, just to keep hot spots and blisters down. Sure. Uh, but to answer your question, I have had no luck with, with liners and, and have had better luck just with one running like a First Light Darn Tough Fits is another company, um, Merino Wool Sock. Okay, okay. Um, and then, you know, as far as keeping snow out of your footwear, you know, keeping your socks dry, of course, everyone's got Gore-Tex boots. There's, you know, a million different uh, levels of insulation you can get um, with those bad boys as well. Uh, but, you know, I've been on hunts where it, it wasn't so much snow, it just rained every day, every day. And Gore-Tex is only going to keep water out for so long if every step you take is in water. You know, you get it on your pants, it runs down in your boots. What's the tip to keeping your feet 100% dry when every step is in 12 inches of snow? One would be gaiters. Um, you you want to wear a, a, a high-quality gaiter, uh, and that's basically something that goes over half or two-thirds of your boot and up your pant leg to your bottom of your knee. Um, solves some of the problems. It certainly does not solve all of the, all of the problems. Um, that gaiter obviously keeps the wetness off of your pants that'll then soak into your sock that'll then go into your boot um so the gaiters are important after that one of the the big things is treating your boot no matter what whether you're using gore-tex or event or, or any type of of um you know waterproof membrane mm -hmm. they're usually only good for a year or so eventually it's gonna it's gonna wear out and when that happens you know waterproofing your boot doesn't wear out um you know that's it, you get out of it what you put into it so you know there's nick wax there's g wax open there's a bunch of different waterproofing you can put on your boots you want to obviously make sure what your boot manufacturer recommends for a uh, you know an aftermarket waterproofing but you definitely want to waterproof your boots yeah, I've always had good luck with mink oil. I think Soft Soul makes it. Uh, Aaron, we need to work in a quick break here. Still a lot more I want to get into as far as uh, backcountry cold weather tips. Um, I know you said you could stick around for another segment. And so we'll continue the discussion here momentarily. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Available in the camo can. Again, this hunting season, grab a 12-pack on your way to the deer lease. And remember... Drink responsibly when you enjoy an ice cold Lone Star beer. Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas. Y'all don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more from Aaron Snyder right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. The funny feeling comes when you're in love with everyone and all your races have been run or laid to rest. 
Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. So you know I love my guns, and one of my favorite hobbies is target shooting. Grant Stinchfield here. Recently, I got to experience what it's like to shoot at the Rockwall Gun Club. It's an amazing place, sitting on 70 acres, but what makes the Rockwall Gun Club so special is not just its first-class state-of-the-art facilities. Yes, it even has a 500-yard rifle range where your results show up on an iPad. But for me, it's the private atmosphere. It's like a country club for gun owners, 100% members only. And what's so cool is that many of the members are law enforcement officers, so it's common to be shooting next to the pros. The Rockwall Gun Club has 19 100-yard rifle stations, 19 25-yard pistol stations, and if archery is your thing, there's even a range for bow hunters. Now is the time to act. Become a founding member like me. The incentives they're offering are too good to pass up. The Rockwall Gun Club offers family and corporate memberships. Visit rockwallgunclub.com to set up a tour and see firsthand what it's like to be part of a private shooting experience. Visit rockwallgunclub.com. That's rockwallgunclub.com. Tell them Grant Stinchfield sent you. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. What is it? one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. It's Christmas time again. It's time to be nice to the people you can't stand all year. All right, one of my favorite Christmas tunes there, Blink-182's. I won't be home for Christmas. I know, I know. We don't play a lot of alternative rock on the Lone Star Outdoors show, and for good reason. Most of it is terrible, uh, but I love that one. It takes me back to my youth anyway. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, and this is DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer. Thanks for tuning in as we are talking some cold weather backcountry tips to uh, stay warm and keep the elements at bay when there's you know a foot of snow on the ground and temperatures are dropping below freezing. And we're doing that with our good friend Aaron Snyder of the Gritty Bowman podcast and Kafaru International. We'll jump back into it with him here in a second. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by the Stillwaters Ranch in Lano, Texas. Still taking some trophy bookings for the current whitetail season. Uh, if you're looking for the perfect father-son hunt, or maybe you want to reward a couple of loyal employees who had a great 2016, well... Stillwaters Ranch has the trophy hunt for you, and you can find out more information at stillwatersranch.com. By the way, they're located in the Texas Hill Country right outside of Lano. Absolutely beautiful place. Um, okay, let's get back into it here with uh, Aaron Snyder. And Aaron, you've already given us a few tips here uh, as far as you know the booties that you take in addition to your hiking boots. Uh, also, you know what you do to keep your boots waterproofed. Uh, let's go ahead and switch gears here, though. Once it's time to strip down and get into that sleeping bag, 
you know, you've probably got one that's rated for, you know, well, there's all different ratings, but I've had it happen to me in a bag that was rated for 15 degrees. It wasn't even close to 15 degrees outside, but I got in there and was freezing my tail off. What are some of the things that you do to make sure that you stay nice and toasty in that sleeping bag when temperatures start to get pretty extreme? I'll put hot hands in my sleeping bag. I'll boil water, put it in my Nalgene, and then throw my Nalgene in my sleeping bag. If I cook a mountain house or some type of dehydrated meal, when that's rehydrating itself, that goes in the sleeping bag to keep it, keep it warm. But something that a lot of people overlook is staying hydrated. Um, if you don't stay hydrated, you, you're colder when you get in your back. And so you want to make sure and stay as hydrated as possible when you're out there. Um, obviously, for many, many reasons, you know, <laughs> hydrate. Your muscles are 65% water. Your brain, I think, is 45%. Even your bones are 15% water. So you always want to stay hydrated. But as far as staying warm, a lot of people will say, well, you know, I slept in my sleeping bag a month ago and I was warm, but now I slept in it the other day and I was cold. Generally, that's not the bag's fault. That is the, the user's fault because a lot of times it's because they're dehydrated. They were colder when they got in the bag one time than they were another. Uh, you know things like that, but staying hydrated is very important when uh, you know when you're when you're talking about staying warm in your sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. Um, now you've got a you've got a shaved head, right? No, I have hair now. Believe oh, okay. It or not, I had, okay. I had a shaved head for twenty some years. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know that's also something to think about is you know a lot of your body heat escapes from your head. So um, if I'm cold, the first thing I'm going to do is put on some kind of beanie or you know toboggan to to keep my head warm. Now, I wear a, a beanie hat no matter what to bed, okay. and it's weird, hot, cold. It doesn't really matter. I always have either a heavyweight or a lightweight beanie hat on just because of how much, like you said, how much heat escapes out of your, your head. So for me, a, it's, a, it's a must. Like, it's, it's do not go, do not, you know, do not pass go, do not collect $200. <laughs> I put headgear on my head when I go to bed. Right on, right on. Uh, last thing I wanted to uh, to touch base on is, um, as far as like, I always end up carrying some kind of tarp to put my tent on, and that's just because, um, you know, I don't want that moisture seeping through my, my tent in any, you know, way, shape, or form. Kafaru might have some tents that are 100% waterproof that prevents that, I don't know. But uh, do you always carry a tarp, or what is it, you know, what is your um, routine as far as making sure that that moisture doesn't come up through the tent bottom? Um, I use a floorless shelter, so I actually use Tyvek, um, like the kind of stuff you get off a job site. Sure. Not to say my friends stole Tyvek for me, but if they had, that's where it came from, <laughs> the job site. And, uh, it's literally, you can buy it on Amazon, you can go to Home Depot, get rolls of it. It works great if you're cutting up meat to put the meat on, uh, to keep it clean. I mean, obviously, anything a tarp would be good for, Tyvek good for. Now, I use a floorless heated shelter in cold weather. So I use one of our teepees or one of our shelters with a wood stove inside. Mm-hmm. It's bare ground, no floor, and then I just put Tyvek down to put my bedroll on. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, how heavy, I mean, how heavy is the stove that comes with that? Um, for the sawtooth and the tut, which are the two shelters I use the most, is one pound, 12 ounces. So not bad then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you're always looking for ways to skimp. Um, you know, every ounce counts when you're on those on those hunts where you're you're hiking in uh, eight to you know name the distance, fifteen miles, whatever the case. 
you know, I'm always looking, taking everything out of my pack, repacking it and thinking, oh, don't need that. You know, it's only three ounces, but damn, I don't want to carry that, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Believe me, it's the um, the the ongoing crisis of any backpack hunter is what can I get out of my pack? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No doubt. No doubt. Um, do you carry a satellite phone or some kind of other way to get a signal out in case of an emergency? I carry uh, either an Iridium Go, which is like a hotspot satellite phone. It hooks up to my cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, it hooks up through uh, Bluetooth or whatever. Anyway, and then I text and call through my cell phone, which is uh, linked up to that Iridium Go, which is basically a sat phone. It's just, you know, you're calling through your cell phone. I yeah. do that. One of the main reasons is, you know, I can I can text a lot faster through talk text through my cell phone. And I handle a lot of my my business work through that uh, through my cell phone when I'm in the field, and so that's you know that makes my life significantly easier with that Iridium Go. The other thing that I highly recommend is if you don't want to pay for a sat phone or rent one, is get a Delorme InReach, and that basically is like an Iridium Go. It's a hotspot, or you're texting through the actual Iridium Go or your cell phone. I link mine up through my cell phone Mm -hmm. and send the text through my cell that's linked to the Iridium Go that goes to the satellite and goes to whoever I'm sending it to. Um, That is significantly cheaper um, for one. Two, some people just don't want to talk. They they just don't want to have any communication. (laughs) See, that's where I was going to go, man, because it's totally different because you spend 200 plus days in the backcountry a year, maybe more. You're just talking about nights. So, uh, you've got to be, you've got to have some way to get work done. When I'm, say I go on four week-long backcountry hunts a year, I'm, I'm happy to only have a satellite phone that I just call the wife and say, hey, I'm still alive, you know, and that's the end of it. Yeah, yep, and I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, it's 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 six to one, half a dozen to the other, or, you know, it's 50-50. Some guys, like me, I'm I'm wired in all the time, um, and, I, and I have to be. Sure. But, you know, when, when, you, when you look at it from a, like a place of peace. Like if you're going out to get away from, you know, society, get the Delorme inReach. Don't get the Iridium Go. And you definitely never want to get in a fight with your wife, girlfriend, work on a sat phone. It's an exercise in frustration because you're not going to have consistent service. You're going to lose. You're going to have to make 15 phone calls to have one five-minute conversation. Oh, and, it, and it's like a dollar a minute or whatever ridiculous price it is. I know when I rent mine, it's not cheap. I think for mine it's seven hundred and fifty dollars for a for five hundred minutes. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's expensive. Well, hey man, I really appreciate you coming on and and sharing some of your expertise and and insight on uh, cold weather backcountry uh, hunting. As far as where folks can find you and then Kafaru on uh, social media, and then obviously the website is kafaru.net. Tons of great uh, products on there. But uh, where can folks find you? Um, you can, on my Instagram, it's Aaron underscore Snyder. Um, uh, and that's A-R-O-N-S-N-Y-D-E-R. On Facebook, it's same thing, Aaron Snyder. Uh, the Gritty Bowman podcast, uh, you can find all kinds of tech tips on there. That's a podcast that, that I do with, uh, Brian Call. And then rockslide.com, uh, I'm off and on on there giving out tech tips as well. Uh, so those are a few places. Awesome. Well, hey, man, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, Wish you the best of luck. Uh, I don't know if you have any tags left, but if you do, hope you punch them. And uh, if not, then 
uh, hopefully we'll see pictures of a big old grizzly bear that you were able to take with a struggle stick this spring. No, I appreciate it, man. Well, good luck on everything you have going on as well. All right, bud. Take care. All right, see ya. All right, there he goes, our resident uh, backcountry hunting expert, Aaron Snyder of Kafaro International. Uh, great stuff there. I especially loved the tip uh, concerning keeping those booties in your backpack. You know, that was one thing I experienced last week on my mountain lion hunt in Colorado. Was, man, my feet would start sweating, and they would get cold no matter you know what kind of Gore-Tex rating I had in my boots. Uh, you know, once you step into that snow after your, your, your socks, you know, keep your feet warm and they start sweating. Uh, anyway, once you start walking around in the snow, you just get cold. So adding some booties to your pack, you know, when you're stationary, take off your boots, put on the booties. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm definitely going to have to use that one. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Cotton Mesa Whitetail Ranch in Corsicana, Texas. If you're looking for that last-minute trophy whitetail hunt or... Uh, maybe you're looking for an Axis deer or, you know, even on up to super exotics like a kudu. They've got you covered. Check them out at CottonMesaWhitetail.com to book your next trophy hunt. Uh, let's take a break. Up next, we're going to switch things up, head down to the coast, talk a little flounder gigging with our buddy Cody Clint. The annual flatfish migration is upon us, and we'll get into that next right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. And all them pretty people up on El Cerrito Place say all got something in their pockets, all got something on their In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. And the sleep's getting harder these days With this warm Dallas weather and a cold-minded haze Got a girl I love I can't let go But I'm still here in Texas, she's in Colorado Back to Texas is the name of that one there from Cole Reisner bringing us back on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here this holiday season. I appreciate you sharing a part of your weekend with me as we're about to talk some flounder gigging. Uh, but before we do that, this segment of today's broadcast is brought to you by the Apex suit from our friends over at Scent Blocker. Uh, I just did a week-long stint hunting uh, mountain lions in Colorado. Temperatures got down to 11 degrees on the mountain, and that was before the wind chill was even tossed in there. So let me tell you about staying warm and dry. Yeah, the Apex became my best friend. 
No doubt about that. You can find it at simplocker.com, and you'll save 10% off your entire order if you use my promo code LONESTAR10. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and uh, switch gears, maybe head down from the mountains and go someplace a little warmer like uh, the Texas coast. We're going to talk some flounder gigging. And let's be honest, uh, fresh flounder is about as good as it gets when it comes to seafood. And for a magical about two months every year, you can really get into them with a gig up and down the Gulf Coast. And so joining us now from Galveston, Texas, it's our buddy and flounder gigging aficionado, Cody Clint. Thanks for jumping on, man. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you too, man. Yeah, it is a great time of the year, and and uh, it's a great time to be flounder fishing, which we're going to get into here momentarily. But first, tell us a little bit about yourself, as far as you know, where you go to school and and what you're studying. All right, Cable, I'm a I'm a marine sciences major. I'm a senior down at uh, Texas A&M's uh, Galveston campus with a focus on oceanography, but uh, basically studying uh, all the physical sciences based around uh, oceanographic methods and. Uh, I gotta tell you, man, flounder have been absolutely on fire down here. It's been yeah. pretty crazy down on the coast. Well, I, I know you uh, you've been sending me some pictures of some giant saddle blankets, and I guess first of all, let's start with the current bag limit. It's uh, five fish for anyone that's not familiar. Uh, they've got to be over 14 inches, except for the first two weeks of December, when the limit drops down to two fish. Why is that exactly, Cody? Well, uh. To start out with, uh, going back to uh, what makes gigging so great this time of year is whenever you're going into the later part of fall, usually anywhere from the first week or two of November or going all the way into the first week of December sometimes, just depends from year to year, the first couple massive cold fronts that you get trigger uh, the Southern Flanders annual migration offshore when they go out to spawn and whenever they're migrating out, they will stop at all the shallow areas they possibly can on their way to the inlets to absolutely gorge themselves on food mm. and load up to eat before they head out. Cause they're not going to eat once they're out there. Now that's extremely beneficial to guys either in Galveston or near San Luis pass or any of the other passes along the Texas coast where they're going to be stacking up thick coming from all over these bays and coming into very concentrated areas. You can go out at night, and it's the reason the bag limit goes down to two from five is it's literally just too easy sometimes if yeah. you know what you're doing. Right, right, okay. Well, you know, based on, like I said, some of the pictures you've been posting and you've sent me, uh, you've been gigging some giants of late. So where do you start looking? I mean, do these flatfish prefer a soft or rocky bottom you know give us some details on, on where to find them I mean, you know it depends all the time these fish are so tricky and they very oftentimes do not like to cooperate but uh everything changes their preferences depending on tidal action wind direction temperature of the air temperature of the water clarity there's a whole lot of different things that are going to go into it but what I've found a lot of times when they're making this migration is they will found sorry they will find semi-hard uh, either very fine broken shell or sand uh -huh. and sit right on top of that uh, come up into shallow water usually anywhere from about five feet deep which you're not going to be able to dig in all the way up to literally about five inches where I've gotten my very largest fish. Wow. Okay. And so five inches is where you've caught your biggest flounder or gigged your biggest yeah. flounder. 
Yeah, two years back, uh, got a 24-and-a-half-inch saddle blanket, yeah. and it, her head was literally at about four inches of water. Tail was in about 10 inches, and so on the edge of the light, just leapt for it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. You tell us, how deep can you actually be comfortable gigging, you know, as far as how deep water? You know, that depends from uh, spot to spot because usually you're either going to be on the edge of a marsh where it could be a very, very gentle slope going out and you could go gently out to pretty significant depth or sometimes you're on a kind of rough shell beach that could have a pretty significant drop-off. But wherever you feel most comfortable and stable and whatever depth you can see out to safely, uh, that's what you want to get to. Uh, sometimes they're going to all be super shallow. Sometimes they're going to be right on the edge of your light range. And sometimes you just don't see them. But uh, usually I gig anywhere from a couple inches of water out to, I guess, probably three feet of depth. Okay. I don't know uh, how cold the water temperature is when they start migrating. Uh, but do you need a wetsuit or waders? Uh, what do you typically wear? I highly recommend getting waders. You can get away with wearing tennis shoes and jeans and trying to just deal with it for the first couple of weeks of the run, but uh starts out with the water probably being around 70-something degrees, and throughout the run, depending on the year, how severe these cold fronts are, the colder it's going to get, it's probably going to get the water down to the 60s and even the 50s by mid-December, and it, it gets pretty rough without um, at least some kind of dry waders. Right. So, you know, for the guy out there who likes chasing ducks as well, um, he can just throw on his waders and be good to go. Yeah, absolutely. You could use your neoprene waders that anyone would use for duck hunting or any kind of waterfowl. Or if you've got people that are already into coastal fishing, if they've got their non-insulated PVC waders, you can throw on some sweats below those and you'll be just fine either way. But uh, really the biggest thing is staying dry and you can insulate yourself beyond that however you need to. Right. Right. Um, let's talk about the actual gig. Where where can folks find those? And is it a three prong or you know more like a one little spear? I or is like it all personal preference? Is, I don't know. A lot of it's personal preference, but you know how a lot of different outdoor hobbies can be. It, the sky is the limit with your price range and how far you want to get into it. But you can start anywhere from like what I use is like basic single and two point. Uh, steel like steel gigs from Academy or Dick's or whatever, all the way up to these really high-end five-prong, like, specially welded aluminum gigs with barbs on them from anywhere on the Internet or making them yourself. And they could, you can spend hundreds of dollars, you can spend literally 50. So, all right. you, so don't you can have get to into the game into. With, with the headlamp, some waders, and a $50 gig. Oh, you can get a decent gig for even like $15, but yeah, it's very easy to get into. Uh-huh. Um, let's talk about the biology of the flounder. Um, is it the males or females that come into the shallows first? You see both start to move at the same time. Okay. Now, uh, it, they're fairly easy to distinguish between when you're actually gigging and you're coming up close to them. So uh, the males typically will never reach anything above 14 to 16 inches. And anything above that, the big, long, thicker fish are all going to be females. Okay. Okay. And uh, they'll both come into the shallows. They'll have the same pattern. Now, sometimes you'll see schools kind of moving in waves sometimes during these fronts. 
kind of rush in like 30 minutes at a time in small schools. And sometimes they're heavier on males. Sometimes they're heavier on females. Sometimes they're mixed. So it's just all random. Mm-hmm. What kind of light do you use? Will the, you know, just the one that I wear on my way to the deer stand uh, be efficient? You can use anything from a basic water-resistant flashlight to your headlamps to they actually make specialized LED gigging lights that uh, go both sorry, go below the surface of the water. Uh-huh. And you can see a farther distance underwater to look for the outline of these fish. So, again, sky's the limit with uh, how much you want to put into it. You can spend 10 bucks and do just fine. It's what I did for more than half of my college career and cleaned up. Or you can invest a little more and uh, have it pay off a lot faster. Uh, the one benefit to having these LED lights is they're a lot more powerful and you can cover more area. Okay. Uh, headlamps will do the job, though. Once you find a fish, what? Uh, how skittish are these things? Because you know, I've, I've, uh, I've never been flounder gigging. It's on my my short list, um, but I have plenty of times, you know, stalked uh, Lake Ray Roberts for carp, you know, fly fishing, or you know, redfish up there in your part of the world. Uh, so you know, stalking fish, um, I really enjoy it. Even you know, trout streams, whatever. Is is it kind of like that, or flounder more docile and just kind of lets you walk right up on them? Again, it's it goes back to what I was uh, talking about with how many different conditions can affect their behaviors, where they're going to be. Same thing is how they are kind of personality-wise. Sometimes they're very, very laid back, and they will let you walk right up to them with a bright light and not care at all that you're there. And sometimes you'll see them on the very edge of your light, 15 feet away, and you can barely even make out an outline, and they just take off instantly. So it just depends. Uh, more often than not, you'll see them laying flat, assuming that they're safe when they're not. <laughs> but sometimes they're pretty skittish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what is the wind's role? I know you talked about the conditions a little bit, but um, say, you know, for bass fishermen or crappie, you know, name the freshwater species, catfish, uh, People target windblown points. Why? Because that's where the bait gets blown. Uh, do the fl- and you talked about the flounder wanting to gorge themselves before they make that migration out you know, offshore. So, is a windblown uh, area going to be you know the best place to look for them? You know, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Uh, what I've noticed is, at least this year, and I mean, again, this could be just random coincidence, but. I've actually had more luck in uh, calmer areas where you see big congregation outside of local wetlands or near structure like piers or pylons. You can see a lot of big congregation there. And if you've got calmer conditions with winds, you'll probably have better clarity with water. But, and again, if you're fishing and you're not worried about visibility, those windblown points can absolutely produce just as well, if not better. Okay. Okay. Well, since you brought up fishing, we'll get away from gigging here just for a second. Give us your favorite artificial bait for this time of year. Oh, man. My favorite artificial bait would have to be either down south paddle tail lures or if you're feeling lazy, curly tail pink gulp. Okay. Uh, A lot of people consider gulp cheating this time of year because it's just a little too easy. But if you're out there just to go fill your cooler and get some groceries... It'll get the job done every single time. But uh, well, I've been known to cheat and just use live shrimp. So <laughs> oh, absolutely, shrimp and mullet will always get the job done. Yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. hey, 
we're almost out of time. Real quick, what is your uh, what is your favorite way to prepare them? I know everyone likes stuffed flounder. I don't know if that's your go-to or if you've got another way. Oh my gosh, absolutely love it. So, my favorite way to stuff or to cook flounder would be uh, open up the top two fillets. There are special YouTube videos for how to remove all the bones from the inside. I'm not going to go into the details on it, but if you can remove all bones from the inside, so you have all four fillets together. You open it up in a butterfly and mix a basic cheap box of stovetop stuffing with about a pound of shrimp, mix it in evenly, uncooked, and then uh, stuff it inside of the flounder, put on a little bit of Tony's on the outside, a little olive oil drizzle, and bake for about 20 to 25 minutes at 425, and it'll be some of the best seafood you ever have. <laughs> there you go, man. Sounds awesome. Well, hey, brother, if you want to give us your Instagram account, folks can check out your pictures, and I know you're, you love duck hunting as well, so they can check out all your outdoor adventures there. Absolutely. Uh, my Instagram would be uh, Cody underscore Clint. So it'd be C-O-D-Y underscore K-L-I-N-D-T. Well, hey, thanks for jumping on with me. I certainly appreciate it. And uh, maybe if you're home, I know you're from the North Texas area. If you're back up here for uh, New Year's, maybe we can go uh, get on some mallards or something. Oh, absolutely. I'll be back there in about a week or so. So I'll definitely hit you up, Cable. All right, man. Happy holidays. All right. Thanks again. Have a good one. All right, there he goes, our good buddy and passionate flounder fisherman, uh, also marine biology major, a uh, senior down there at Texas A&M Galveston, uh, Cody Clint. We appreciate him jumping on with us today. And that segment of the show proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas, now with a second location in San Antonio to uh, better serve the South Texas area. And my friends Josh and Becky, they've been handling all of my trophy mounts for six years now. I keep telling y'all, whether it's a whitetail, a speckled trout, you know, if you catch that 30-incher down on the coast, uh, any exotic, they've done axis deer, oryx, you name it, black bear. Uh, if I shoot it or catch it and want to put it on the wall, they make that memory last a lifetime with a beautiful mount. And they'll do the same for you. Check them out at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Okay, uh, let's take a break. Up next, we're going to get into a little quail discussion. We've had boom-boom years in 2015 and 2016, but what does that mean for the long-term outlook for the bobwhite quail? We get into that next with the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch's Dale Rollins right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Sure put me in the mood. Think I'll swing down to Texas for Christmas And let that Lone Star guide me on my way Smith here for Lone Star Ag Credit. We all know land is a limited commodity. Let's face it, they're not making any more of it, but everybody wants it. Whether that's to build a house, hunt deer, or run cattle, allow Lone Star Ag Credit to help make that land your land. They've been doing it since 1917. For more information, Visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to let them help you finance your piece of Texas today. We all love fishing, but private water fishing makes the experience even more enjoyable. Private means private, and when you reserve one of over 50 private lakes, that means you're the only one on the water. Lakes are stocked and professionally managed to grow big bass, and most have boats on site at no charge. You'll catch bigger numbers and bigger fish than on public water. Silence, solitude, and no crowds. It's a great way to introduce kids and grandkids into the outdoors. Visit privatewaterfishing.com to become a member today. 
Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. And I'm just a, a country boy Money have I none But I've got silver In the stars Gold Ah yes, the gentle sun. giant The pride of Floyd Ada, Texas The great Don Williams Gold I'm just a country boy Bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show Brought to you by Lone Star Beer And Hoff Power Polaris I'm your host Cable Smith Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope you're having a, uh, a great holiday season and have plans to get into the uh, great outdoors, whether that's hunting or fishing or hiking, camping, whatever. Uh, but do that with uh, those who mean the most to you. I know I always work in a duck hunt uh, with my brother uh, over the Christmas holidays. Looking forward to doing that again this year as well. Um, anyway, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, including at the newest Rudy's in front of the Cabela's in Allen, Texas, Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. All right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk some Bob White quail after gloom and despair that lasted for over a decade. 2015 was an incredible rebound year. 2016 might be even better. We'll find out right now with the man who has his finger squarely on the pulse of our Texas quail population. He heads up the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the broadcast our old friend, Dr. Dale Rollins. Thanks for dropping in, sir. It's great to be with you and great to be amidst uh, a bumper quail crop here in West Texas, Kevin. <laughs> no doubt about it. I actually just got back. Uh, spent uh, four days in the uh, well Roberts County up there at the McMorty Ranch, a place I know that you've been to before. Yep, uh, that's you know all the West Texas is good. Roberts County nearly always get up in that sandy country up in there. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, and and you're actually bird hunting today. So uh, how's it how's it been so far this morning? 
Well, I'm out on my lease out near Big Spring, and uh, I've had some record numbers out here the uh, last several weeks. Uh, right now, here, we hunted about three and a half hours this morning and pointed 32 coveys out here. Oh, my gosh. Bob Whites. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Um, we'll get into uh, some, some more quail numbers here in just a second. But first of all, Dale, how long have you been chasing quail? I've been chasing quail, I guess, since I was about uh, probably seven years old, riding around with my dad uh, early on in my career. And then uh, about the time I was 14 and we could sneak off with the pickup truck or uh, me and my buddy, Coon Dog, uh, we've been hunting them ever since. <laughs> and and how does the 2016-2017 uh, season stack up when compared <laughs> to other seasons over the past uh, 30 or 40 years? Well, I would have said uh, last year, 2015, was the best year we'd seen since 1987. 1987 kind of being the year of record for my generation. Mm-hmm. But this year, 2016, uh, I believe is even better. I've uh, I've already set two personal records this year. Last year, I set a record of 43 coveys in a day, and I thought I'll never break that. But uh, I've had a 58 and a 63 this year, so never say never. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, uh, you know, for someone my age, I'm, I'm uh, 35, the heyday of uh, bobwhite quail hunting was something that, uh, you know, I had yet to experience until the last two years. Um, just because, you know, they got so scarce unless you either had a lot of money or had access to a place that had, you know, a little bit of the, the scarce quail that did exist. Uh, there just wasn't a lot of opportunity. Uh, now they're back in full force. Um which is absolutely great. You know, we're seeing lots of younger hunters um, go on their first wild bird hunts. We're seeing some of those West Texas towns fill back up with uh, pickups loaded with uh, bird dog boxes. You know, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a big deal, and and it pumps a lot of money into those uh, rural economies as well. Yeah, absolutely. We we, we did some work uh, with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension several years ago where we estimated uh, what a Quail Unlimited, who was the club at the time. A quail limited member from the Dallas area spent uh, in the neighborhood of $8,500 in pursuit of their recreation quail. And at that rate, uh, each bird they put in a bag cost them about $253. So I call it <laughs> quail escargot. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully that, that, that's trended down a little bit uh, with the number of birds that we are seeing here this year. What would you say is the average number of birds harvested? per covey pointed so in just you know per let's do per hunter so you and your buddy are out there your dog points a covey uh how many birds are usually taken out of out of each covey well i I tell you that for me and my buddy growing up all the time we thought we ought to get you know at least two birds per covey so if we saw 20 coveys in the day well that'd be over the limit so uh but we ought to average two birds per covey Uh uh-huh any more though, like this morning, we got like 16 birds out of 32 cubbies. So we're averaging less than uh, right at a half a bird per cubby among three of us. So we're not very efficient. And we've had some markably uh, poor shooting this morning too. <laughs> uh, but but anytime I think you could average uh, a bird a cubby, I think you're doing all right. And if you ever get up close to two birds a cubby, you've had an outstanding day. Right, right. Well, that falls right in line with uh, with the two days um, I hunted out at the McMorty Ranch. Uh, my friend Evan, he's got a nice Brittany, and um, it's his family place. And I think the first day we hunted three hours, pointed about 13 coveys, and ended up with 12 birds. 
And then the second day, we only hunted an hour and a half, and I think we got uh, nine coveys and ended up with 10 birds. So uh, about a bird a covey uh, is, is spot on for for us. And then he was a lot better shot than I. He probably got three-fourths of those, you know. So <laughs> I was just uh, along for the ride. Um, and then when, when you throw blue quail in the mix, your covey goes, you know, your your birds per covey goes down because typically they're flushing wilder and so forth in the Bob White. Oh, sure. I didn't want out here where I'm at, it's about uh, I'd say about uh, two thirds bob whites and a third blues. Right, right. Yeah, I think we got I think we pointed two or three coveys of blues and got zero uh, blue quail. So that uh, no 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 doubt they do uh, flush a little wilder for sure. Um, let's talk about some of the uh, uh, health aspects associated with bob white quail research that's been going on for years and years. What is the current st- status of the eyeworm research. I know that you're pretty hands-on with that. Well, we, we first discovered in 2011 when we began a, a, a large-scale comprehensive study of disease and parasites in Bob Whites in the Rolling Plains. We worked in 32 different counties, and we discovered that these eyeworms were prevalent. Uh, we had about 60% of the birds that we looked at had these eyeworms and, and an average of maybe eight worms per bird. Now, these eyeworms are, are about the size of a mechanical lead pencil. They're about that diameter of the lead and the pencil, mm-hmm. and they're about three-quarters of an inch long. So they're not microscopic. If they were if they were brought to the same scale as our eyes, human eyes, they'd be about the size of toothpicks. So they, when you look at a bird with 20 or more of these eyeworms in them, you say, my gosh, how could that not be impacting their vision? Uh, but But... But birds are birds are living and birds are doing okay, you know, despite the fact that they've got some eyeworms. We've uh, we're continuing to do work with Dr. Ron Kendall out at Texas Tech. Uh, Dr. Kendall is working towards a medicated feed. Uh, that's easier said than done. Has to go through all his FDA protocols, but he's getting closer, and and we hope within about a year mm-hmm. that we may be uh, having a uh, medicated feed that we control not only the eyeworm but also the sequel worm. And the sequel worm may be as big a deal for quail as what the eye worm is. The sequel worm is a worm of the lower intestine. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So there's the latest on that. Maybe within the next year, uh, medicated feed. That would be awesome. Um, I did want to hit on the uh, aflatoxin study, which uh, the good news on that front was uh, after years and years of research, it, it appears that when quail are eating deer corn, it's, it's, uh, the aflatoxin level is not high enough to really, uh, affect them. Yeah. In general, that's true. Uh, you know, we've made some strides along that aflatoxin there in the last 15 or so years. Uh, There is a state uh, imposed limit on how much aflatoxin can be in deer corn. Uh, that is 50 parts per billion for for human or dairy consumption is 20 parts per billion. That doesn't mean that there's not some contaminated corn out there. The other side of the equation is that if you buy clean corn, but you put it into a deer feeder or something that acts like a terrarium and it's moist and warm, <laughs> whatever whatever level of aflatoxin that's in that corn is going to increase. So sure. it does, uh, it, it is, it, it's, you know, you ought to be diligent in cleaning out your feeders and different things like that. And again, seeking to buy, a corn that is certified as less than 20 parts per billion. But okay. it doesn't seem to be a big issue. Yeah. I just I know it was a big concern, um, you know, a few years ago. Well, when when the quail numbers are going down, we all have our pet theories. And, you know, there's aflatoxin, there's wild hogs, there's the eye worms. There's, there's different things that, that pop up, and you think this may be, this may be the key. And 
Uh, some of them are dead ends, and some of them we're still tracking on to see what the full implications may be. Right, right. Um, let's talk about this La Nina weather pattern, and you know, predicted for uh, even next year. How do you foresee that having an effect on next year's recruitment and quail numbers? Well, for us here in, in most of Texas, West Texas for sure, La Nina is no good. Uh, El Nino equals El Greeno. And uh, so far, we're, we're supposed to be in a neutral pattern right now. And unfortunately, most of West Texas, uh, just this last several days, has gotten a good shower, uh, anywhere from uh, half inch to two inches kind of thing. We're looking really good. We've got all kinds of winter annual weeds on the ground, like fillery. Uh, a wet fall is going to mean a good broomweed crop next year, which will benefit the quail. So uh, hopefully they'll ease out of that La Nina forecast. But if, but if it holds, if it, if it persists, uh, anytime we're going to a dry spring, a dry summer, and a La Nina summer, a dry summer is typically a hot summer, uh, that is not good news for quail. So we've got a lot of quail on the ground right now. Um, my, uh, my assignment to what I call students of quail, landowners and managers and so forth, is to see how good a job we can do now at, at insulating that crop of quail. We've got a lot of them out there. Can we do anything to sustain the boom? And, and that's going to be a lofty order, but that's that's what I hope we can find out. Hmm. Well, I mean, we've had two incredible carryover years in a row. Uh, I mean, it, w- it would just be incredible if we could have uh, a third uh, to kind of compound those numbers, uh, even put more quail on the landscape. And I know we're getting greedy when we say that, because like I said, we've had what I call a boom, boom year. Uh, I didn't think there was any way it could be any better than it was last year. Our counts at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch suggest we're about 30 to 40 percent higher this year than what we were last year, and a lot of West Texas uh, is similar to that. So again, now can we can we take that boom boom and go boom boom boom? <laughs> right. I hope so. I hope so. But it, neither time nor history nor plant succession are on our side. So it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to watch what transpires over the next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, talk a little bit about the ratio of adult versus juvenile birds being harvested this year as far as like, you know, carryover from year to year. And um, I don't know what the average lifespan of a bobwhite quail is, but I imagine it's, uh, it's probably two years old would be a pretty old bird. Yeah, two years old would be a pretty old bird. Uh, in most cases, we like to see at least 70% of, of whatever you take out of your bag at the end of the day, we'd like to see 7% or 7 out of 10 of them be juvenile birds. Uh, last year it was probably close to 85 to 90 percent, which indicated incredible reproduction. This year a little bit less, but again the fact that you know we might have had a little bit lower reproduction overall, but we had such a nice carryover from last year that we've got a lot of birds out there. So uh, if you don't know how to age a quail, uh, you look at the top of the wing. Um, you go to our Facebook page at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch, and we can show you how to age a quail. There's a there's a webisode on it, and that's one of the first things you ought to do is when you Take that bird from your dog's mouth is look at the wing and is it an old bird or a young bird. And I do that at the end of every day when we're cleaning birds. I just clip a wing off each off each bird and then I age them. Like last night, uh, we'd only been out a little while. We shot nine birds and seven of them were juveniles. So that's, that's a good indication. So you'd like to think that at least 70 to 80% of your birds would be young birds. Okay. Okay. Um, well, we're almost out of time here. Just a couple other things to mention. Um, you know, we've seen the boom with the, the bobwhite. Is is the uh, the blue quail benefiting in, you know, kind of along the same line? Are they uh, having just incredible population growth as well? 
Blue Quail have uh, done very, very well over about the western half of their historic range. They're, they still haven't uh, expanded back into some of that country along Highway 83 that historically back in the 70s had Blue Quail everywhere. Uh, they haven't, they've been very slow to reinvade that area, but uh, towards the Pecos River and most of West Texas, Blue Quail have done incredibly well. All right, all right. Uh, last thing to mention here, we've got uh, a cool Quail Masters class coming up this summer. I know you don't have the uh, the dates in front of you, but uh, where can folks go and find more information on that? This is something that was came uh, came highly recommended from my friend Evan McMorty. He took the class with you uh, last summer and said anyone interested in quail management or quail biology uh, would benefit themselves by taking this class. Yeah, there's a whole lot to learn about quail and, and what I call students of quail, and that's what our quail masters are. We meet four times during the year, a three-day session, four times. You're expected to attend all four of them. We tour some of the best properties in Texas and look both academically and on the ground at what the practices are that you want to use to try to sustain and multiply your quail population. Uh, the best resource right now would be to go to our website at the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch, quailresearch.org, quailresearch.org. Subscribe to our eQuail newsletter, and in that eQuail newsletter, which comes out on the first day of the month, the dates are in there for the Quail Masters classes, which will be, they'll start next March. I know the first class is uh, the latter part of March of 2017. Perfect, perfect. And then what about the uh, statewide quail symposium? Statewide Quail Symposium is April 15th to the 17th. I'm sorry, not April, August 15th to 17th in Abilene. This will be a command performance from, from what we had two years ago. We had a great turnout. Uh, and this will be at the end of the biennium where we've been uh, working with A&M uh, AgriLife Extension on this quail decline initiative. So we'll be uh, generating a lot of information, presenting a lot of the findings from the various research projects at that function. And I encourage anybody that's interested in quail, especially in West Texas, but statewide, uh, to attend that. It's a great workshop. Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll let you get back in the field. And uh, we certainly appreciate your time this morning. Always great uh, talking quail and uh, quail conservation with you. Okay, well, I look forward to bumping into you somewhere. All right. Take care, Dale. All right, take care. Bye-bye. All right, Dr. Dale Rollins of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Ranch. Great stuff there, always. Uh, enjoy talking quail, just such a volatile species. No doubt the most volatile species we have in the Lone Star State when it comes to uh, game that we outdoorsmen and women love to pursue. Truly a boom or bust deal when it comes down to it. If we get rain, quail are going to do great. If we don't, they're going to struggle. Uh, so anyway, uh, great stuff there with Dr. Dale Rollins. That segment of the show proudly brought to you by STI Guns, Texas made and Texas proud. STI has a full lineup of 1911 and 2011 model pistols, and they've got them in all manner of calibers as well. You can find it all at STIGuns.com. Go Texan, go STI for your next handgun purchase. Uh, okay, just looking at the clock here, man. Time flies when you're having fun. We've had a lot of that today. I do want to thank all of our guests, of course, Dr. Dale Rollins, also Aaron Snyder of Kafaru and the Gritty Bowman podcast, and, of course, our buddy Cody Clint as well. It was great talking flounder, gigging with him. We'll do it again, same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for sharing a part of your holiday season with me. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Well, I get tempted and I get tired of being and doing everything right.